Hello, it's Friday, September 20th, and this is Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast presented by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. On Sunday, the Chiefs' Dustin Colquitt will take the field for the 225th time in his career, all in a Chiefs uniform. He'll either be punting or holding for a field goal or extra point. However Colquitt sees action, he'll set the team record for most games played. Later, Missouri beat writer Alex Schiffer gets in touch with his counterpart at the state newspaper of Columbia, South Carolina. Ben Briner covers the Gamecocks. They break down Saturday's big game between the Tigers and South Carolina. Colquitt's been an excellent punter for a long time, and he seemed to have found a new life in the Andy Reid regime. Earlier this week, we sat down at his locker at the Chiefs training complex to discuss his career, what the record means to him, and what he remembered about playing a few seasons with the man he's supplanting on the game's played list, Will Shields. Here's Chiefs punter Dustin Colquitt. I just remember when, like, walking in the building, you heard about guys like Willie Rose and Will Shields. Trent Green was already here, Priest Holmes, Tony Gonzalez. Um, so, uh, you know, we have Eddie Kennison, I mean, T. Rich, all these guys, Dante Hall, that were really like, that kind of formed how you went about your work my first year under Dick Vermeil. And so with Will in particular, it happened to be that every game I'm sitting right across from him because the specialists are by the showers and he's like right there. And so you can't help but to like be listening to music and kind of look out and see how he goes about business. And then when he's in the room, he can, he can he's very reserved and keeps to himself. And so when he does something or says something, I think it goes a long way. And it always did with me because you would see him the way he worked and how much success he had. You would never there's no matter who the coach is going to be, he's probably going to have more experience than the coach maybe even. <laughs> And the, the cool thing about a coach is when, when they're talking, they, they love the game. They're, they give up so much in their personal lives. And so when – and he, he respected that. And so you would never see him, even if, if somebody said something to him, he said, yeah, I'm going to at least try that because he wanted, to, he wanted to rule out all these things. And there are certain things that I, I think from an onlooker's perspective he would not – he would not waver, but there were certain things that I knew that he would embrace. Like each person that he came in contact with was an opportunity to, to either rule that out or hey, try and see if it makes me better. Right, right. Um, it occurs to me that the family business, being what it was, you had your career was pretty much mapped out uh, for you growing up and, uh, and becoming what you've become. Uh, did you play any other positions? No, I didn't, and like, I just had like a kind of a back door. God kind of opened a back door for me. Everybody talks about God opening doors. God definitely kind of opened a back door for me. I, I didn't play until my senior year in high school, and then that was two weeks before my senior year. I got pulled off a soccer field because our kicker broke his ankle, and they said, we have a game in two weeks, and you have got you, to come out now. And I'd never punted a football before other than at my dad's camps growing up. And usually he would say he would say like he never hit a ball. He was jump is at Maryville College jumping in the pool. He didn't come to and so uh, I had just this backdoor kind of experience where literally I'm uh, out at so much so that Coach Young, who is an all American Tennessee, basically called my dad and said, Hey, I don't know if Dustin told you, but he's gonna be punting today. We need somebody to work with him. He's very raw. He's right-handed, left-footed. Like yeah. it's a nightmare. <laughs> so I remember one of my first images of my dad at a football practice is me kick, you know, coming up and I'm kicking a cross body like this, and he's standing there like, 
so I tried to get you to play football all these years, and now you just – they asked you and you just came out, right? <laughs> and uh, so it was just kind of one of those things that – just one of those kind of like opportunities that – it was kind of my time, and I'd fought it for years because my, you know, with my dad, my uh, first cousin, my dad's nephew, uh, punted at Tennessee for four years, and briefed for the Seahawks, and then Travis Colquitt punted at Marshall for four years, and went to the Chargers for a short period, and so it was like one of those things where it was, when I started playing, Britton was, my brother started his freshman year, so it was kind of like, all right, here it goes. So, um... What uh, Andy Reid and his arrival made a big difference to you, did it not? Absolutely. Um, I, I think you know they, you know, you hear everybody talking about culture, and there's so many different backgrounds that walk in this locker room. And I think the, I don't know what Coach Reid's words would be here, but he does a great job of treating everybody the same, and that's differently per player. He expects the same out of everybody. But he knows how to go about getting the best out of every player, no matter who it is that walks through that door. And that when they leave, they've learned something and how to go about a good like work day. Uh, so when he came, he there was the idea of I remember when he came in through the doors. It was an idea of like we we don't have to talk about like turning the ship around. We've already started turning it. So jump on. And so that was, I remember that feeling of like, this is going to happen fast. I don't know how fast, but then like nine wins later, you're like, dude, this guy is amazing. Like, what in the world? And he just, he just will outwork you. And so it makes you want to get in there and work. And I, I think the last seven years, I, I think I've tried to kick more and work more at holding. Work, and whatever the, that thing is that, you know, these talents that God gave me, I want to, I want to make sure that I, press the pedal to the metal because windows can be very short I've been very lucky that mine has been a big window but I want to make sure that you know every day is not a day where I'm taken for granted okay and just a final thought on what what, what Sunday and that number will mean to you uh, 225 or 226 what, what, what's it going to mean to you yeah 225 it's cool uh, um it's it's just uh you know God's grace to have that long of a career to be able to stay healthy this long um, also is what I think, and two, it's it's going to be about a win. It, 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 so it's something that I'm going to think kind of think about on the back end of the day, and just be there, very thankful that hey, I get to suit it up one more time at Arrowhead. I remember hearing it was a special place. I remember the chef's end zone painting, you know, when I was at Tennessee, and then all of a sudden I get drafted to this place, and I'm flying to MCI, and it's just cow fields up there, close to. You know, worlds of fun. I'm like, where did I got? You know, where am I headed? And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is the best. This is the best little place I could have ended up. I mean, God really kind of had that umbrella over me. And I remember a saying that I learned a couple weeks into coming here, and they said, if the weather was better, you'd have to build a fence to keep people out of Kansas City. And that has definitely become true in my life. Dustin, thank you very much. Absolutely, thanks. Let's take a break, and when we return, we'll give you the lowdown on Saturday's Missouri-South Carolina game at Mizzou by the writers who know it best, Alex Schiff for the Kansas City Star and Ben Briner of the State in Columbia. 
save big on the biggest brand tires. Where else? You're participating Big O Tires. Now through September 22nd, get up to $70 off select sets of Michelin and BF Goodrich brand tires. Plus, get up to an additional $120 in mail-in rebates on qualifying purchases using your Big O Tires credit card. Only at Big O Tires, the team you trust. Not valid with other offers. Disposal fees extra. Up to 10% shop fee based on non-discounted retail price. Not to exceed $35 where permitted. For the store nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm Alex Schiffer, the Missouri beat writer for the Kansas City Star. And we have a different format this week. Instead of talking to our usual host, Blair Kirkhoff, I'm joined by Ben Reiner from our sister paper to the East, the State. And we're going to preview the game for you guys. Hopefully you enjoy it. Ben, how are you doing, my friend? Doing quite well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to seeing you on Saturday and uh, wishing you the best of travels to my Columbia as compared to yours. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's start with this. You know, South Carolina comes into the game one and two. They've had a bit of a tough start under Will Muschamp this year with the opening loss to North Carolina and the fighting Mac Browns. And uh, I, I thought they played Alabama fairly well. On Saturday, you know, I, I think this is a pretty big game for Missouri. We can get to that a little bit later. But on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very important, 1 being not as important, where would you rank this game for South Carolina in terms of bigger implications with its season and whatnot? I would have to rank it somewhere between uh, 10 and maybe 12. South Carolina right now basically needs to win every game that wouldn't be considered a mammoth upset if they want to go to a bowl. That's where they are. They came into the season with either the hardest or the second hardest schedule in the country and promptly went out and lost to a team that they were favored by, I believe, by at least 11 in North Carolina, which put them even further behind the eight ball. Basically, if they don't win this game, there is an astonishingly high chance they will not go bowling for the first time under Will Muschamp, which would represent a rather significant step back from what the program thought it would be and would, would send them into an offseason with a whole bunch of questions that they don't really feel like answering. So for South Carolina, it's paramount that they come out with a win, and I don't 100% know if they'll be able to do it. See, I, I think for similar reasons, this is a big game for Missouri because they this is a game that has really tripped them up the past few years. Obviously, you've been on the beat as long as I have. You know, that, that game last year, to me, I don't know about you, but I, I just thought that game was one of the all-time weird games I've ever covered. I mean, two weather delays. It looked like a beautiful morning in South Carolina, and then all of a sudden it looked like we were in the middle of the day after tomorrow um, before the, the winter part starts, and it's just that ridiculous monsoon. And, you know, Missouri had the lead late, and then they gave up a really botched defensive coverage in the last minute 18 for South Carolina to walk it off. I, uh, I think this is a, a big game for Missouri because they, they start off 2-1. and one. They've beaten two teams they should have, the Wyoming loss, 
obviously has hurt them. And I mean, they, they need everything they can get out of this year with Kelly Bryant. I think he's been as advertised and I think anything short of eight wins or, or nine wins would really be disappointing. You know, I thought 10 and two was a little bit over optimistic. I admit to have picked them 10 and two, but I, I look at this team that you know, with what they bring back on defense and with Kelly Bryant running their offense and how he's looked, I, I think it'd be a very disappointing game for fans and have implications of home attendance the rest of the year if they can't pull this one off. You guys have had an interesting deal lately with Jake Bentley going down at quarterback and Mr. Ryan Holinsky taking over. I, I'm just curious, you know, I, I think Jake Bentley is an interesting situation now because he could grad transfer, he could redshirt. His dad being on the coaching staff is uh, is an interesting twist in all this. What do you think of Ryan Holinsky and how he's done so far, quarterback? And and you know what what do you make of this Jake Bentley situation? Well, start with Ryan. He is. I think he's going to be a good quarterback for this team. He stood in well against Alabama. He throws a really nice ball. He's still learning certain parts of it, but he's. I mean, he was he was a elite eleven quarterback. I think he was the number sixty four recruit in the country, and. Came in, um, beat the snot out of an FCS team, and then played pretty well. I think for him, some of the some of the next steps are going to be sort of evening out his level of play because I think a lot of the time with freshman quarterbacks, you look at the the high points, and with older quarterbacks as they develop, you look at the low points. And so I think he needs to raise a few of the low points. I think there were there's stuff to clean up. I guess I would say. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I think he's going to be a pretty good quarterback. First SEC road start, so that's kind of a challenge. Um, Skill set wise, he's more of a pro style passer, but um, gets the ball out quick, accurate. Tends to work the short routes, though he had a dime of a ball that he threw probably into double coverage, but also completed it for a, a big touchdown against Alabama. So I think he has the ability to be formidable and. You know, obviously Missouri has the memories from a few years ago of facing a young Jake Bentley uh, in a game that kind of helped sort of launch Jake Bentley's career and sort of helped uh, change kind of some of the nature of that Missouri season, if I recall correctly. Now, the Jake Bentley situation, I think, is wild because he has had this sort of interesting dynamic where he came on so strong early and everyone thought he would be this big deal quarterback and he got better in some ways but not as fast as people had hoped. And what that ended up meaning was a lot of disappointment, a lot of complaining from fans, a lot of wondering why he couldn't be better. Um, There was some thought at the beginning of last season, he probably wouldn't be here this season because he would have gone to the NFL. He ends up staying, staying this year, comes out and throws maybe the, one of the worst games of his entire career to uh, open up this season and then promptly gets hurt. And it's, it's going to be, really weird and really odd to speculate about because if Ryan Holinsky gets locked in and plays as well as he can play, and if these first two games are a sign of something, then it's going to be a very weird dynamic if Jake Bentley does try to come back, which means you'd have the possibility, maybe in the likelihood, of him looking for another home. Um, The team obviously won't talk about that kind of stuff and at this point, it's all just sort of guesswork. But it could be very interesting to see what happens with him long term. I, I agree. I'm really curious to see where that situation goes from here. Let, let's talk about this team's strength and weakness wise. I'll admit, I'm a huge Brian Edwards fan. I, uh, I think that if he was in a conference that wasn't the SEC, he'd probably get a lot more national recognition. You know, last year with Emmanuel Hall at Missouri, A.J. Green, A.J. Brown at Ole Miss, excuse me. Obviously, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy at Alabama. I think it was, it was such a deep year for wideouts in the conference. He might have kind of fallen under the radar. 
You know, I know he's obviously a big part of their offense, obviously, with Holinsky. Uh, they have great tight end play. You know, th- their defense doesn't seem to be as as solid in years past, at least from the numbers I was looking at. You know, where would you kind of put this team strength and weakness-wise right now? Well, strength-wise, I think it's probably its top two receivers uh, in Brian Edwards and Shai Smith. Shai Smith, smaller guy, explosive, good leaper. He was a four-star recruit and freshman starter, and, and, and really he is a good player. So I think those two guys kind of lead your offense. Ryan Holinsky is sort of a question mark because he's still a freshman, but he looks good. In terms of the rest of the skill positions, uh, Nick Muse was a transfer from William & Mary, has joined the tight end group, which is solid, and that's pretty notable because coming into the preseason, they, they had a set of tight ends they liked, their number one tight end, uh, had to end his career because of a uh, spinal condition they discovered. A guy who maybe had the ability to be their number three tight end, he decided to transfer. He first he had a heart thing, and then he decided to transfer away to play basketball. So Nick Muse comes in. I think they're solid there. I think they're solid with maybe a little potential to be more than solid at the tailback position. Uh, Rico Dowdle and Clemson transfer Tavian Feaster are kind of your guys there. I don't know that any is either is a real bell cow, but I think they both have the, the ability to have good games on a given day. Offensive line has sort of been up and down, though it was pretty decent against Alabama, which might be a good sign. They had to do some shuffling on the inside early on. Um, I'd say that pretty much all of that is at least solid with those receivers being better than solid. But I think a lot of those spots have the ability to be strengths on a given day on defense. I think the front seven's got ability. The defensive line's got talent. That group has been extremely inconsistent to this point. Um, They had a lot of struggles against North Carolina and actually held up kind of well against the run against um, Alabama. So I think that they could be sort of an interesting thing on that front. The secondary has been, to this point, a problem, especially against UNC and Alabama. Granted, Alabama's a team that can take a lot of advantage, but South Carolina actually has talent there, not a lot of depth. But thus far, it has just kind of been a mess in that back end. Alabama will make some teams look that way, but still, I think I think the secondary at the moment is a weakness. I think it has the ability to be at least solid, maybe better, but it's just not playing that way as of this moment. Let me ask you this. What's, what's the matchup you're looking for in this game? You know, to me, having covered these games recently, I think this comes down to Missouri's defense. I mean, the reason why, and again, that, that 2018 game last year in South Carolina was just crazy in so many different ways. You know, Missouri had a ton of drop touchdowns in that game, drop passes. There was a DeMaria Crockett uh, touchdown that was called back because he stepped out of bounds. It seemed like a really close call. I, I think this game comes down to Missouri's defense, and can they get turnovers on Ryan Holinsky? Can they kind of rattle him as a true freshman on the road? And, you know, they, they looked great after the Wyoming game with just holding the team to one touchdown in the last eight quarters. You know, do we see that Missouri defense? And, and what can they do to contain Brian Edwards and their wideouts? You know, the passing defense that hasn't really been tested, you know, given it's SEMO, FCS school, and, and West Virginia, they just look terrible against Missouri. So I, I think this game comes down to what can Missouri's defense do against South Carolina's offense. I'm curious where you stand on that and, and if you're looking at something else. Well, I'm actually I'm, I'm strongly in agreement with you on that front purely for the fact that those numbers for Missouri's defense at this juncture are just so ridiculous. I haven't looked a ton at the advanced numbers on them, but this, your traditional numbers are just insane. So, And Missouri is a team that uh, 
probably since the late Pinkle years hasn't been known as necessarily a defensive powerhouse. So I, I'm sort of going to be interested to see are those numbers representative of just it's the start of the season or are those numbers representative of a really tough as nails defense? And if it is that tough as nails defense and you've got a freshman quarterback going against it, then South Carolina could find itself in a weird spot, in a bad spot, really. The other thing I kind of look for is sort of that Will Muschamp magic isn't quite the right word, but uh, you mentioned some of the weird games these teams have played in the past. And frankly, the entire Will Muschamp era has had a fair number of those games where things just get odd. Turnovers and weird turnover returns and, you know, taking away a scoring chance here and generating a, a, a surprising scoring chance there have really done a lot of work to, to swing the game. I know two year, after two years ago, I ended up talking to um, Missouri alum Bill Connolly from then SB Nation, now ESPN, and he kind of remarked that South Carolina had been drastically outgained in two games and had won one close and had blown out Missouri. And that kind of seems like the lifestyle for successful Will Muschamp teams at times. And so I kind of, as you mentioned, all the bonkers weirdness that would happen last year in this in the Columbia I'm in, I kind of look for, do things get weird again? I agree. I, you know, something that I've been thinking a little bit about it. If, if you remember that 2017 Missouri, South Carolina game, Missouri, the early 10 0 lead, and then just like that, in, in 30 mm-hmm. seconds, Missouri lost the lead on the Drew Lock interception. Uh, Debo Samuel had the huge return. And then Missouri just really didn't know what to do with itself. I, I kind of wondered to kind of flip the script. You know, if Ryan Holinsky throws a pick six, if he has a rough first quarter, does, does he regain himself and is able to lead the troops and, and still pick holes in Missouri's defense apart? Or does he struggle? And, and as you said, you know, it just seems like there's always a uh, – Something weird's going to happen. You know, it's funny. Barry Odom was joking with us yesterday. We, we asked him what he learned from last year's game. He said, bring an umbrella. It <laughs> looks like there's going to be some rain in the forecast. You know, is, the, is it deja vu all over again, to, to use the Yogi Berra line? You know, to kind of transition with that, wh- what do you think South Carolina fans think of this game? You know, Missouri and, and their players and, and everything. You know, I, I think uh, since Missouri joined the SEC, I, I really think this has been one of the more interesting conference games. You know, it, usually the other teams in the SEC, East or West, uh, have been down. You know, Arkansas was a little a game that Missouri plays every year. It was a good game when they first started playing, and now, you know, as, they, as Arkansas is rebuilding, it's not as much. Tennessee's had coaching changes as usual. Florida's been up and down. This is a game I feel like you could look at the schedule every year and kind of circle. Like, this is going to be, as you said, something's going to happen. It's going to be must-watch television. It's going to be interesting going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, Missouri's players seem to think that it, it's been somewhat of a rivalry. I, I think the fan bases have both kind of traveled well and drawn well for it. I'm, I'm curious in, in South Carolina what, what people think when this time of year co- comes around. And also, you know, not to go on, but, you know, you look at Dawn Staley and, and suing Jim Sturk, Mizzou's AD, and what's happened with the women's basketball team with all that, I— I think some of that's bled in a little bit, too, with just the two schools having stances on stuff. So I'm curious for what the, the opinion is with this game back where you're at. I think I think it's interesting because I, I don't know that it necessarily sort of sits in the level of kind of the top end rivalry just because you've got Georgia so close. Clemson is always kind of this thing in the back of the mind. But I think it's certainly if it's not considered necessarily that top end rivalry, it's certainly a rivalry with a lot of interesting history and a lot of oddity to it. Because, I mean, even even that women's basketball thing and the lawsuit and all that, some of that started, you know, the year before when um, I want to say it was Sophie Cunningham hit a game winner against what turned out was a was a pretty good Gamecocks team. I I can't remember if that was the final four, if, the, if that was the title winning team or not, but it, there's just been a lot of oddity. I mean, you go back to um, 
the the Connor Shaw game uh, that ended in I think it was double overtime. Mm-hmm. The missed field goal, yes. Yeah, and the the missed field goal game, and if I recall correctly, uh, the game the next year was also kind of a classic. Uh, you've had the trio of weird games of late with, you know, the Jake, ben- I think it was Jake Bentley's, I want to say first game against uh, an SEC opponent, followed by that Debo Samuel swing game, followed by, you know, all the insanity of last year. I think it's, it, 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 and even going back all the way to the Brad Smith game, uh, the uh, Brad Smith bowl game, when I think he ran for some ungodly number of yards that people here will still kind of references sort of a weird moment in the, in history of these teams. So it's, I don't know that it necessarily is treated all that much as that kind of rivalry. Cause I think, I think for better or for worse, South Carolina fans want to feel as if they're in a certain spot and sometimes looking at parts of the sec East, they don't necessarily think as much about them. But I also think that it's a rivalry that's sort of fraught with this interesting history and there's never a lack of stories to be told about it. I, I agree with that. You know, I, uh, I, that 2013 game, as you were saying, the 2014 game to me is one that stands out to me just because South Carolina was hammering Missouri that whole game, but Missouri's defense just made enough stops to kind of sneak out of there with a late rushing touchdown mm-hmm. and, uh, and get the win. That, that was, as you, as you said, it's, it's, you never really know what you're going to get with this, with this game. What, uh, what's your score prediction for this? Ooh, I don't think I put one down to paper yet. I haven't um, either. So we're, we're both going in blind here. Let's see. Um, I would probably pick South Carolina. We will say 24-21 for no other reason. Actually, you know, let's let's go uh, 31-28. Um, for no other reason, I think South Carolina is in a desperation spot. They're, I mean, at their, at their uh, media availability yesterday, they basically said – we are desperate. And I don't know if that helps. I know that the, the Vegas numbers and a lot of the computer rankings like Missouri by 10, and that feels high. And then we're probably going to get to the end of the game and I'll probably say, nope, that was pretty accurate. Um, but for the moment, I'm picking the Gamecocks by three with sort of the caveat that I sort of, even though the line is very high, I sort of assume it's just going to descend into one of those ugly, weird mud fights and someone will end up winning by some impossibly close margin. Yeah, I'm, I'm no Vegas expert either. I just checked the line as you were talking. It's still Missouri by nine and a half. I was stunned when that line came out that it was as high as it was. I, re- I, mm-hmm. I, I look at this kind of like you do as a pick em, honestly. I, uh, I think you can make a case for picking either team. You know, I'd, With the recent history, Missouri's inability to finish this game, I, I'm going to pick South Carolina, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a little twist because you know, when you were saying 24-21 at first, I'm like, all right, if he's going to pick that, I'm going to go 31-28. But you took me there. <laughs> I, I'm going to give it South Carolina 41-40 uh, in overtime. Okay. And, uh, I like you know, I, I, I agree. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if Missouri wins this game. And to be quite frank, I wouldn't be surprised if Missouri wins this game by a comfortable margin. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, this has been a, a game over the years where, as you kind of said, you know, uh, a curveball is thrown. And for whatever reason, South Carolina is able to turn on it more so than Missouri. I, I do think that Kelly Bryant's presence will be an interesting dynamic just because it's his home state school. He knows guys on the other team. And uh, I think, you know, him having played against South Carolina, 
the past few years, I, I think this is a game that he treats just as seriously too. It's not like I remember when Missouri played Kansas in the exhibition game with Michael Porter a couple of years ago. You know, some of these guys never watched Missouri Kansas, had no idea what it was, and just like, yeah, this is another game. Like I, I don't think that way with Kelly Bryant. I think that he mm-hmm. he gets up for this game as much as the rest of them. But I, I agree. You know, I don't I don't know which Missouri team is going to show up. Is it the team that lost to Wyoming? Is it the team that just look has played near perfect football the past two weeks? And if it's the latter, then I, I think we're both going to look stupid with our picks. But, uh, but no, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I think Missouri, uh, until they prove to me that they can beat South Carolina, I'm going to pick against them right now, especially after that Wyoming loss. And, uh, and we'll see kind of where it goes from, from here. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's just going to be interesting because, you know, as, as you said, what, what, is this, uh, what is this Missouri team? The computers like them. Vegas likes them. And Vegas liked them last year, and they were pretty good. And South Carolina was was and has been still kind of all over the place. So I think it's – I've been saying since sort of the beginning of the season that this week and next week are going to tell us much more about South Carolina football than, you know, really the first three. And I think that, you know, Missouri could kind of be in the same boat that these early SEC matchups – are going to help us say, okay, this is what this season might look like. Awesome. Last one from me. Uh, give me a player to watch on South Carolina, either player of the game or someone you think is going to, that we haven't mentioned on this podcast that could become a, a key part of this game. Uh, whatever you want to do with that, with that flexibility there. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, it's a little obvious, but Tavian Feaster, one part of their two tailback rotation. He's a Clemson transfer. Uh, he was a starter taking handoffs from Kelly Bryant, which I think is kind of a cool little storyline. Mm. And I, he's, he's got the highest upside on this offense. He's extremely fast, pretty explosive. Or I should say the highest upside in the backfield. And I think that him and Rico Dowdle being able to generate something against this Missouri front is kind of vital to not leaving Ryan Holinsky sort of on an island. And I think that both of them... Both of them have had interesting games, but neither has had that big explosive game where they kind of run the show for one afternoon. And so the one I'm watching for is just kind of can Feaster get maybe 15, maybe 17 carries and put up near 100 yards. I'm going to follow your trend a little bit with a name that we haven't talked about, but Missouri fans know with defensive lineman Jordan Elliott. You know, Missouri hasn't really had a pass rush in recent years. They've looked pretty good. I mean, they had 13 tackles for loss against West Virginia. I mean, they clobbered SEMO, but I mean, there's a physical difference there, too, with FCS to FBS. And, uh, you know, I think, again, I think a lot of this game goes back to just what the defense can do, as we've discussed. And, you know, if Jordan Elliott, who mauled SEMO's quarterback last week, I thought the guy was knocked out of the game. He knocked his helmet off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if Missouri can get a pass rush and really give Ryan Holinsky some troubles, I think we're going to learn a lot about can it, what can this Tigers defense do. And, and again, also what you were kind of saying about what Ryan Holinsky can do if he gets rattled or takes, you know, gets his bell rung. I, mm-hmm. I just think, you know, Missouri's getting great linebacker play. Obviously, the secondary is going to be a difference, but if they can get some form of a pass rush against a true freshman quarterback and really, really get to him and rattle him, I, I think that it could be a very interesting deal for it could be a long day for Ryan Holinsky or. He could have a coming out party like Jake Bentley did. Real quick, uh, you talked about how you know Missouri. The Missouri game is known as Jake Bentley's first start uh, in 2016. It's known here just universally as the Drew Lock water bottle game because that's what everybody was talking about even after they lost. Was it vodka? Oh was yeah. Water? Um, that uh, that's been a big thing. So it's funny how that you guys remember that for. Uh, Regardless of the result, the quarterbacks both found a way to get remembered in that game. 
Yeah, I, I had totally forgotten the Drew Lock water bottle thing. The water bottle thing, it, it seems like pops up every so often in weird games where a hail of bottles is seen or was a hail of bottles thrown and it, it becomes sort of a thing. Um, and I had forgotten the, I had forgotten Mizzou's prominent place in that history. But now that you say it, I mean, I guess, I guess there's, there's no more Drew Locke to sort of perpetuate that history. Maybe that's part of the, the handing off of the quarterback is that you no longer have the water bottle storyline, but instead you have the Kelly Bryant, uh, local guy who, you know, is tight with one of South Carolina's backup quarterbacks and played in Clemson for three years storyline to to sort of ease in and, and and send that off. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Ben. Safe travels into Columbia and look for me on Saturday in the press box. Will do. Looking forward to it. That'll do it for today's Sports Beat KC, sponsored by Big O Tires. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, give us a review and a rating. It always helps. Leah Becerra and Kathy Liu produced the episodes this week, and Leah's podcast coaching is greatly appreciated. Check out our stories on the show notes on KansasCity.com and the Chiefs' Red Zone app. We'll be back early Monday for a wrap-up of the Chiefs-Ravens game and another full week of episodes talking sports in Kansas City.